the Victorian Country Hour with Warwick Long on ABC Radio Victoria. On the Country Hour today, he runs a billion-dollar agriculture fund and he thinks cattle in Australia are dramatically underpriced. And you won't believe who he blames. My personal opinion is that there's been a chronic overreaction to the Bureau announcing El Nino because since they've announced it, it's done nothing but sporadically rain. And the, the challenge is that there was no other global indicators that were requiring our market to, you know, a sell-off that required our market to be suppressed. In fact, it's quite the opposite. Have you been frustrated with the undervalue of undervaluing of Australian cattle. You can send us a text 0467 842 722. While you're at it, plenty of you going hammer and tong in uh, headers around the country, also making silage and hay too, I'd imagine, uh, in different areas of Victoria as forecast rain comes. Have you had the forecast rain already? Are you going hard at it now? You can send us a photo these days. I love seeing the photo if you're going hard at it. Right now, send it through 0467 842 722. We'll hear from one such farmer shortly on the program. You'll also hear more about how agents are feeling about the impending closure of the Pakenham sale yards. But right now, let's go to Rural News with Jane McNaughton. Jane. Thanks, Was. After years of planning and construction, the nearly $600 million project to build the Rookwood Weir is finally finished. The dam project near Rockhampton in central Queensland plans to bring crops like macadamias and more beef feedlots to the region. Rural Funds Management National Manager Dan Edwards fronts one of the companies that stands to benefit from the development. The macadamia development is in the order of 2,000 hectares. It's a transformation of what was primarily cattle grazing land to irrigation added horticulture, all made possible because of the water that was secured out of it and created from the development of the weir. Uh, it's got the potential for about $50 million worth of, worth of revenue and 60 local staff when we get into, into operations. That's just uh, the, the macadamias. Uh, and then you've also got uh, this arrangement with um, Morton Co for the feedlot. We're supplying the land and, and water for the Morton Co to develop the, the feedlot. I think they're, they're thinking to be in the order of another 65 jobs. The water creates that opportunity for a secure source and some feedlot capacity that suits that region. Meanwhile, things have been difficult for the macadamia industry this year. Floods, drought and a global nut glut. The last few years have been some of the toughest on record for Australia's 800 macadamia growers, with returns now well below the cost of production. Some have even chosen to call the quits and exit the industry. But Australian Macadamia Society CEO Claire Hamilton-Bate says she is confident there is still a light at the end of the tunnel. The world crop overall is... Is increasing exponentially. The COVID impact on markets worldwide, particularly on the ingredients and incorporation and the use of styles of macadamia that are not the snacking styles which move so quickly. It's a whole combination of factors. It's obviously for the industry and for individual growers and for individual handlers and processors as well been a devastating couple of years. But the way out is good productivity and maximising yields off farm and the demand creation activities that we need both here domestically and in export markets. And there's a whole lot of that happening at the moment.
While Pakenham sale yards are set to close next year, in Queensland, livestock agents in the town of Warwick have walked out of a meeting with the council over a disagreement about the $7.5 million Warwick sale yards redevelopment. Representatives from five agencies met with staff at an operational meeting last Friday to discuss the project's future. But after being briefed about the reduction in some of the facilities, they terminated discussions early. Prior to the meeting, council had produced a design for the complex and awarded the construction tender at a council meeting. The council says with tenders submitted beyond its budget reach and amid rising building costs, they have had to reconsider the extent of the first stages of the redevelopment. Ben Johnson is president of the Warwick Livestock Selling Agents Association and says the plans that they saw at the meeting were totally different to what they had agreed to prior and they weren't happy with the plan. Federal Agriculture Minister Murray Watt has welcomed a call from the National Farmers Federation for more transparency in the way that supermarkets set their pricing. The minister says he has been speaking with the supermarkets, particularly about meat prices. I've actually been calling on the supermarkets to drop their prices for livestock for about three months now, uh, and I'm pleased um, that that is beginning to happen. Woolies have decided a couple of weeks ago to cut their lamb prices across a range of products by about 20%. Some of the other chains are looking at doing the same thing, but we can't just rely on those kind of promises. One of the things we have started uh, as the federal government is a review of what's called the Food and Grocery Code, and that basically looks at the level of transparency and the commercial dealings between the retailers, their suppliers, their wholesalers, to make sure that people aren't unreasonably profiting. Of course, you know, there are costs that are incurred between the farm and a product going on sale at the supermarket. Um, But I think the supermarkets should be doing more and I'm hopeful that that review will play a role in that as well. And finally today was, you'll love this one, meet Harry Russell, an outback airmail pilot who has been delivering mail to residents in the far west of New South Wales over the past year. Chatting in the hangar based at Broken Hill, he says making outback deliveries is a unique job. So primarily what we do is uh, deliver post, uh, Australia Post, um, to sheep stations up northeast from Broken Hill. So we, yeah, once a week, we go up and go to 26 stations there is. So we deliver, you know, mail, freight, online shopping nowadays, there's a lot of that. And then outside of that, it's just scenic flights and charters. The kind of challenges, you know, coming straight out of kind of flight school into this Maron where you do, you know, 28 landings a day, where in the middle of summer, it's really hot. You've got lots of thermals, um, you've got animals all around, like you have to, shoe goats and sheep off of airstrips a lot of the time. Um, like buzzing over Lake Hare and Wolpina Pound and that sort of thing is pretty cool. And that's today's Rural News. Thanks very much for that, Jane. Uh, Jane McNaughton there with Rural News. Warwick Long with you here for The Country Hour. Quick programming note, actually. The Country Hour tomorrow will be on the road. We'll be broadcasting live to you from Sandmount Farms, which is a, a giant corporate Ag Farm for Go Farm in northern Victoria at Katunga in Victoria, something like 6,000 hectares, 50,000 megalitres or something like that. Uh, huge almond and processing tomato growing areas. We will have a big look in depth at not only that farm, but a look at corporate agriculture in general. So if you have any questions about that or anything you'd like answered, you can always send us a text today or get in contact before tomorrow. The text line is 0467 842 as always. And the email, if you want to send an email to the Country Hour, is countryhour 
at abc.net.au. The country out live tomorrow, Sandmount Farms, which is a go farm investment in regional Victoria. Let's talk rain right now. Some great photos coming in of people going flat out. If that's you going up and back, trying to get harvest in before this rain comes, would love to see what you're up to. Flick us a photo because grain growers are flat out to get as much crop off as possible before rains arrive later this week. The Bureau's forecasting 25 to 50 millimetres for large areas of the state across the days to come, which would cause significant harvest delays and possible yield and quality downgrades in grain. Angus Verley spoke with large-scale Mallee grain grower Terry Kiley, who's about halfway through his program. We've nearly finished our lentils. We should finish today. Yields aren't. Well, just average and uh, quality is excellent on the lentils. Uh, we did canola and that was quite good. Well, we haven't grown canola for 10 years. Didn't know what to expect, but it was better than what we sort of ever grew years ago when I used to grow it. So, And uh, we've done a fair bit of the barley, probably half our barley. Quality was really good. Yields were good. And um, we're doing a bit of wheat at the moment with one header and uh, yields are really good and uh, but the protein levels are you know um, APW a little bit of ASW. Now obviously everyone at the moment who's harvesting has got their eyes on the the weather forecast and it looks like there is possibly a fair bit of rain on the way. Uh, well who knows well I'm, I'm sure we'll get something Angus and uh, it'll hold us up but yeah I haven't, I haven't really had a close look at what the forecast is but I know they are predicting a bit over a few days, so no doubt we'll get a bit and get a bit of a breather. Hopefully it doesn't do any damage. And the plan between now and then, just um, obviously keep going and get as much done as you can, I suppose? Yeah, that's right. The um, I see the grain plant Sea Lakes open until 10 o'clock, and then daily. Uh, they had a couple of late days here, but um, they're worried about getting caught with, with our tarps on, so... Yeah, just to get as much done as we can. We've got a bit of on-farm story, so we can yeah, keep going as hard as we can anyway. And I imagine, Jacko, good for the, the sites to be flexible with their, their opening hours when they know people are under the pump? Oh, yeah, everyone's got to work together, Angus. So we're all in the, in the same game. Um, yeah, they, uh, yeah, it's all beneficial to everyone, I think, if we can keep things rolling. And as you said, obviously rain not ideal, um, possible quality downgrades and holds you up, but... As well, I'm sure you've been doing long hours and you will appreciate a bit of downtime. Yeah, yeah, it'd be good to uh, get a bit of a bit of maintenance done on a, a bit of gear. We've got a chaser bin down at the moment, bugging up yesterday afternoon, so uh, we'll get that going again, hopefully. And we've got a truck we've got to pick up that's been over the over getting service, getting a bit of job done on it. So yeah, there's always something to do to catch up on. And what have you got? It sounds like you've got a fair bit behind you, but what have you got ahead of you? Uh, we've still got um, quite a bit of uh, barley to go, which we left. Um, I don't know why, but I forget now for some some reason. And uh, and quite a bit of wheat to go, but we've got uh, all the lentils. We'll finish, like I said before, we'll finish them today. They're the main one to get out with weather. <laughs> um, I don't like any weather on them, of course. And uh, we've still got a paddock of peas to do, which we hope to get into later on today. Might get them off, actually. And there's uh, a few lupins to do as well, so they can wait till the end, I guess. You said you, you're growing canola or grew canola this year for the first time in a, in a decade, I think. What was the, the reasoning there? Oh, just the moisture we had 
from last year and uh, and for agronomic reasons, uh, you know, there was a bit of grass in these two paddocks that we grew it on and, and it was just a matter of trying to clean up some ryegrass with a, another year and uh, seemed to work pretty good and the result was okay. Mind you, I think it would have grown a fairly handy wheat crop too, which probably would have been better cross-margin-wise, but um, it's also just the agronomic reasons, really. Uh, I'm not, I don't know if we'll keep doing it, put it that way. A few fires around too, it seems, Jacko, through the Mallee. There has been. Um, what, there was one not far from us uh, early uh, last week, uh, on the weekend it was, and but it was started on a roadside, actually, so I'm not sure what happened there, whether someone's put a butt out or the car pulled up in the long grass or what. So it, it only burned about 20 hectares, but... Um, yeah, that was uh, just between my place and speed. So, yeah, it could have been, yeah, the the aircraft are very handy. Angus, they seem to be able to get on get on top of things fairly quickly. Okay, so um, from from this point on, Jacko, as, as you said, uh, keep going flat out till the rain, uh, catch up on some jobs when or, or if it does rain and then uh, back into it. Yeah, that's about it, Angus. Yeah, yeah have a bit of a breather and, yeah. So we'll just see what happens, I guess. There you go. That is Terry Kylie there, who farms near Nandali in the Mallee, speaking with Angus Verley on the text line. Many of you are like Terry, going absolutely flat out at the moment. Uh, this one saying flat out, trying to get hay in all bale, just have to finish carting, not going to start harvest before the rain, says one text for us. That's come in from Bob near Maryborough in Victoria. Uh, still bringing in the hay, was up, says Rod in Mulka. Rod, I can see that. Thank you very much for that. Round bales looks to be your go in front of the tractor there. A flat out like a lizard drinking near a chuka, says Peter Tui, former VFF president and many other hat wearing uh, farmer as well. Uh, looking at the front into the canola by the looks of things for Peter Tui there. Plenty going on on farm at the moment and probably my new favourite, Texter to the country. Sorry to all of you. Angus Furley on the text line. He's, he's out and about today. A beautiful shot of the skyline out near Birdship. Looks like a storm's brewing out there. So I'd imagine there'll be some uh, sweating brows as people try and get some work done in that part of the world. Rainfall figures also coming in. I'll get to some of those in a moment. More on that soon. But let's keep moving on the country hour and talk sale yards. We talked about this yesterday with the impending closure of Packenham, one of the five biggest sale yard operations in the state. It's due to close mid-next year. Regional sale yards and online traders could benefit when the state's largest livestock exchanges closes its gates next year. With the Pakenham Livestock Exchange uh, currently the closest to Melbourne and underwent major hurdles to upgrade uh, and handle 100,000 animals a year, it's now due to close on June 30, 2024. The owners, VLE, told the Country Hour yesterday that council rate rises and land tax hikes of upwards of $550,000 a year mean it's no longer worth maintaining the site. David Setches is the president of the Packenham Associated Stock Agents and an agent for Alex Scott and staff. He says while some of Packenham's 100,000 cattle will be diverted to VLE's other site at Lean Gatha, Many will go to other places to be sold or be sold online. He says this week's decision has taken agents and producers by surprise. It came it was a bit of a blindside, really. We were sort of uh, thinking that 
we were going to get at least, um, you know, uh, two years' notice, which we had been informed of, you know, that would be the case some months ago. But anyhow, um, it's not to be. It was uh, a bit of a shock and still is. We sort of still picking myself up and dusting myself off, really. VLE have told us that everyone who's employed through the Pakenham site will have a role at Lee and Gatha. Is that something um, that you and other agents are interested in taking up? Yeah, well, we sort of don't have a choice, really. Um, our our company and and uh, the, the likes of Nutrien and and, and Elders op- already operate um, out of that facility, so it's it's probably an easier transition for us to um, to go there. But yeah, you know, there's a couple of the um, the other private agents there. Their clientele base is, you know, one of them is uh, very much Mornington Peninsula based clientele, and and the other one, um, you know, also it's just got into Pakenham. Uh, 12 months ago, um, now finds them. They find themselves there, having to move sort of out of their, out of their area really, um, to um, keep the business going. So um, it's sort of displaced a few, um, a few agencies, and certainly going to um, affect a, you know quite a few clients that um, are from the Mornington Peninsula, uh, Yarra Valley, and and, and um, west of Melbourne. Are certainly going to, um, to redirect, have to redirect cattle to uh, other markets. 100,000 head go through Pakenham every year, VLE, are saying that they, they hope that that cattle goes down to Lee and Gatha, but do you expect that that will be the case or do you think that 100,000 head will, will probably go to other uh, sale yards? Oh, look, there's certainly no question that uh, you know, a fair percentage of those cattle will be redirected elsewhere um, when you consider the logistics of getting them down to Coonwarra. Um, you know, it's, it's an hour across from the Yarra Valley to Pakenham, and it's probably another hour and 20 back down to um, down to Coonwarra. So those cattle there, it's a fair uh, fair old truck ride to uh, to go past Pakenham to get down to Coonwarra when they could go to potentially Kitan or Yay or, or other uh, sales centres like that. What are the roads like around there? Are they in a condition to take, you know, trucks carrying another 100,000 head of cattle? Oh, if you've been uh, been down the South Gippsland Highway, it's um, she's a pretty old rough track down there at the moment with the... Um, you know, a lot of sand trucks around the Lang Lang area. Uh, the roads just falling to pieces, and yeah, certainly, um, you know, the volume of cattle going back down that way, it certainly wouldn't um, wouldn't do the roads any good either. So, um, and that road across from you know from um, from Yarra Valley across uh, through to Pakenham, that's a bit of a gate track too. So, um, yeah, there are other ways around it, but it's um, it's uh, it's a bit it's still a fair way over. Yeah, definitely. And what about yourself? What kind of impact is this going to have on you and your business? Well, we've got a we've got a, a large um, a large uh, following on the peninsula west of Melbourne and, and certainly into the Yarra Valley. So, um, you know, I've been on the phone all night and through the morning just trying to uh, let my clients know what's happening and um, what um, what most of them have been saying too. It's uh, you know it's it's all about the transport and cost of getting them over there and. Uh, and logistics and you know what else can we do so i think there's, you know, there's certainly other platforms we can market cattle um rather than send them down there but um certainly you know we've got no choice a lot of cattle will go direct and um certainly there'll be um the cattle that will go down there but you know it's it's well, they're all worried about you know rising transport costs and and, and things like that so um you know uh, we're just gonna wait for the dust to settle a bit and, and see how it all um, unfolds really that's Pakenham Stock Agents Association President David Setch is uh, speaking with Fiona Broom there. A couple of your texts coming in about this. Dom says, Warwick, read the sale yard closures. Just how many cattle yards are left in Victoria, says Dom. Dom, there's still quite a few. We'll, 
there have been some closures, though, obviously. Warrnambool recently, was that this year or last year? Um, Pakenham now next year too. But Pakenham, the thing about Pakenham is it's one of the big ones, right? And there, there aren't as many soft floor underneath, big big roof overhead, doing upwards of 100,000 cattle and could even do more. And that is now being taken out of the system. And that's obviously where some of the concern has come. Neil in Bendigo says, I texted you yesterday trying to make a point about the selling of the sale yards and didn't do it well because there's lots of yards and they've been moved because of land values. Some that come to mind were those like Newmarket, Dandenong, Bendigo, Ballarat, Horsham, Machuca, Wodonga. Uh, Wodonga times three. Love that. Loved the atmosphere at all of those old yards. They made outdoor furniture out of the recycled timber from Newmarket. I have some, which I still use often and occasionally reminisce while using it. Love your show. Great. You can get on the get it on the Listen app as well, says Neil in Bendigo. You can get it on the ABC Listen app in Bendigo. Uh, Neil from Bendigo, thank you for pointing that out. And uh, thank you for sending in the text about. So, yeah, they do move, but this is one being taken out of the system altogether, isn't it? Interesting to hear uh, your thoughts on it all. Chris says, is there enough ground available to expand the Coonwarri yards at Langatha? Uh, the size of the current yards well below the holding capacity needed to conduct sales, says Chris. Uh, Lingath is still a serious operation these days. Um, but yeah, obviously, we will go there. We'll go to the last sale of Packetham and try and get in one at Lingatha as well. Let's move away from sale yards for a moment, though, here on the Country Hour and talk water at the moment, just across the border too. The New South Wales State Water Regulator says it will take action against water licence holders who are taking more water than they're entitled to. Data released for the first time by the New South Wales Natural Resource Access Regulator shows 6% of water users in New South Wales in 21-22 pumped water when their accounts were overdrawn, meaning their account was in the red and they weren't entitled to pump water, but they did it anyway. By comparison, in the Victorian Murray, about 2% of water users have overdrawn their accounts in the same period. Elsie Kennedy spoke to the Natural Resource Access Regulator, NRA's Chief Regulatory Officer, Grant Barnes. Both in the Victorian example and with New South Wales, most water users are doing the right thing and are using their water accounts in compliance with their obligations. However, in New South Wales, 6% though is a level too high, um, particularly when in total those users were accessing water around 40,000 megalitres or for others way of putting it 16,000 Olympic swimming pools. So that is a breach of their condition of their water access licence and are therefore allegedly committing an offence under the Act in New South Wales. But it has wider concerns for us insofar as it looks to restrict access to water users downstream who are doing the right thing. It also could be mean that water that was meant for the environment is being taken by a user whose accounts are in the, the red. As you mentioned, 6% is, that's definitely the minority of users that are overdrawing their accounts, but it's a fair bit higher than Victoria. Why is it that you think it is higher than Victoria? Uh, so uh, some of your listeners may recall an ABC Four Corners program that aired in July 2017 that made allegations um, regarding alleged non-compliance with law and the water theft by some prominent irrigators. They also made the allegations of maladministration um, by senior leadership within New South Wales. Uh, the 
Natural Resources Access Regulator was set up soon thereafter to be the independent regulator of water for New South Wales. We've worked very hard over the five years to bring uh, large parts of the state into compliance and we're able to demonstrate that now. Um, with respect to these figures, we expect further positive progress to be made um, over the coming years with NRA's continued attention on compliance and enforcement. This is the first time I've seen this data looking yeah. at overall the volume of water overdrawn in New South Wales. Is this the first time you put out an audit like this? Yes, yeah, so this is a result of a regulatory priority, one of four that we had in the previous year. We identified this as an issue that warranted our team's attention. Overdrawn accounts were deemed to be an, an issue where historically users were frequently going into non-compliance. Uh, we've had the project running now for 18 months and now we're in a position to report positively the results of that campaign. And so when you're talking about overdrawn accounts, there are a number of different ways people can take water illegally and overdrawing your account is just one of those ways. Do you have figures for overall illegal take in New South Wales? I'm certainly making the distinction that um, what we're reporting today uh, doesn't quantify as, as water theft. These accounts have periodically gone into the red, often inadvertently through lack of attention. Uh, just coming back to the to the question, are there figures in New South Wales of the volume of um, unauthorised take uh, more broadly, looking at people who might be pumping who don't have a water licence. You know, there's a whole range of other ways people could be taking water in an unauthorised way. You've got figures for the overdrawn accounts, which is really interesting. Um, but do you have figures overall for unauthorised take? New South Wales, like other basin states, are implementing the requirements to have accurate patent approved metres installed for groundwater bores and surface water pumps. A uh, vast majority of users now have accurate metres installed, but that program is still working through various tranches such that it will be concluded by the 2025 um, year tracking at the moment. It is at the conclusion of that project that we will be able to report the portion of metered take from New South Wales. Mm, okay, so we're looking at 2025 for that. Where are we up to at the moment in terms of the percentage of uh, water users who have those metres installed now in New South Wales? 88% of water taken is accurately metered and New South Wales has an aim to get that in excess of 95%. That is the New South Wales Natural Resource Access Regulator's Chief Regulatory Officer, Grant Barnes. 6% overdrawn and still pumping in New South Wales compared to 2% of irrigators in the Victorian Murray. Interesting comparison to have a look at there. Hey, Neville's install on 1300 977 2 with a quick one. Neville, what's happening out your way? Uh, no, phone service from down the week from So How are you calling me, Neville? Um. How are oh, you calling I'm, me? I'm my good friend's phone. He's with the other company. They, oh, okay. There was, so what's, what's happened? You just haven't had phone service around stall? Are no, they upgrades? No, businesses, not many people will let know, even in businesses. I've scouted around and asked, and none of the cars that you in the shops are working. It's Ulster for making payments. Um, some businesses got let know, and other businesses didn't. I certainly didn't. I'm under Aldi, which is under Ulster. And there was nothing given to us at all. 
I'm only on a monthly plan with Aldi. And if I had a been Jewish, I wouldn't have had a phone service at all. But I did that about a week ago, thanks to this. And all during, I'd imagine, a busy harvest period around stall as well. People have been needing yeah, their phones well, for that. It's people who are on a monthly or a plan with Aldi or the which goes on at all, so they're going, they won't have a service. They won't be able to renew their phone. Neville, thank you for the info. Important information. Thanks for giving us a call. Yeah, well, I've heard it won't be back on until next Monday. Oh, oh well, we'll get, might even ask Drive if they can follow up on that or maybe on the country out tomorrow or rural reports tomorrow. Okay, Neville, thank you for your call. We've got the weather report on the way, and I know many of you will be waiting for that one. Let's find out what's making regional news headlines right now as well. Faith Tabaluyan has that for us today. Uh, good afternoon, Faith. Good afternoon, Was. A woman has died following a crash between a car and a truck in central Victoria this morning. The car and truck collided at the intersection of Albion and Edith Street in Kyabrum at about half past seven, with the truck then hitting a four-wheel drive. The sole occupant and driver of the sedan, a 58-year-old Shepparton woman, died at the scene. The driver of the four-wheel drive, the driver of the truck, and his female passenger were all uninjured. Police are yet to decide whether they will charge the driver of an SUV that crashed into patrons outside a Dalesford pub in central Victoria. Police have told the coroner's court the investigation into the November 5 crash that claimed five lives is in its infancy and is ongoing. An officer told the court police are continuing to, to investigate the extent to which the driver's diabetes was a factor in the incident. The Parliamentary Committee examining major flooding across Victoria in 2022 has heard the state's emergency warning system is failing residents. Former Emergency Management Coordinator for Latrobe City Council, Lance King, wants to see a full overhaul of the system. The committee heard during the 2021 Gippsland floods, an evacuation order was delayed by two hours when it was too late to leave. And Southwest Healthcare is closely monitoring a steady increase in COVID-19 ca- COVID-19 cases in Warrnambool and Southwest of Victoria. The ABC understands Warrnambool Base Hospital is caring for a higher number of COVID positive patients than normal, averaging about three cases a day this week, with a number of staff also absent due to the virus. For more news, you can visit ABC News online. Thanks, Faith. Faith Tabaluyan there with uh, regional news headlines. We've got the weather coming up for you here on the country. Just a couple of your weather texts, actually. Let's go through them. Uh, 20.4 millimetres at Peachel Bar yesterday evening, says Brian. You must have got under a storm. Leo says, G'day, was seven millimetres. No hail at Gundowring. The sorghum is loving it. Love that, Leo. Uh, thank you for sending that through. And I thought I had another rainfall figure. Yeah, it's six and a half millimetres the last two days for Barry at Kyabram as well. Uh, and what time is the rain going to hit the southwest on Friday? I've got hay on the ground, says one text here. And I also have a fantastic text. Where is it? From Clyde in Bright. Just six and a half millimetres in the gauge near Bright. Yet, Apparently, 33 millimetres, just 15 kilometres up the road at Harrietville. Also, can you ask the Bureau of Meteorology on the geographical terminology for Bright? Is it on the ranges or the northern slopes of the divide, says Clyde. Clyde, 70 miles might need to take that one on notice, but we can ask it on your behalf anyway. Senior forecaster at the Bureau of Meteorology, Stephanie Miles is with you. Hi, Stephanie.
Hi, we're okay going. A northern slopes or uh, what is it? In the ranges for Bright, yeah. do you know? Great question. I personally would call it Northern Slopes. I'm sure other people would say otherwise. We'll get back to you on that one. <laughs> Harrietville's probably Rangers. That's probably the dividing line, that 15 kilometres. Yeah. yeah, I would agree. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> I'll go on, on your advice. Now, everyone wants to know about the rain. Everyone wants to know about this week. How's it looking around Victoria today? Yeah, of course. Well, to just today, probably the most settled day out of the rest, uh, or guess the next seven days. A uh, bit of cloud around in the southeast. We've got a little uh, thunderstorm just popped up in the southwestern parts of the Mallee. Uh, but otherwise, pretty much clear skies around the state, which is nice uh, before some unsettled weather. So from today onwards, really just expecting those showers to continue in the northwestern parts. Uh, a couple of thunderstorms as well. However, cloudy conditions south of the ranges with a few little isolated showers as well. Tomorrow on Thursday, we'll have very similar conditions. Those isolated showers will stick to on and south of the ranges. We will start to get a couple of more showers in the northwestern parts, including isolated thunderstorms as well. However, in terms of the rainfall coming up on Thursday, tomorrow, those thunderstorms really only bringing anywhere between 10 to 15 millimetres in the northwest. The rest of the state quite dry. It's from Friday onwards that we start to get, there's a big trough that's just in the eastern parts of Australia. It starts to deepen over our western border into South Australia. So from Friday onwards, we start to get an increase again in shower and thunderstorm activity in the northwestern parts of the state. Uh, throughout the day, the way that that's going to progress is that by about day or into the early afternoon, those showers will start to move southeastwards and extend over central and southwestern parts of the state as well. And by the evening, perhaps a little bit over the East Gippsland area, however, not so much in that very far far southeastern parts. But then into Saturday, we do get an actual low pressure system starting to deepen over our western border. And what that will do will continue some widespread showers and thunderstorms through Saturday over pretty much the whole state. And then Overnight in Saturday, or sorry, overnight Saturday and into early Sunday morning, that low starts to move westwards across the state, and we actually start to get some cooler southwesterly uh, flow into the western parts, and those showers start to move eastwards over central and eastern parts on Sunday. By Monday, hopefully, that low has moved completely off through the state. Uh, which means that the showers are contracting further eastwards. And by Tuesday onwards, we're pretty much stuck in southerly and southeasterly flow. However, that trough that we just had moved through ice is kind of still sticking around in eastern Australia. So I wouldn't be surprised if by Tuesday, Wednesday, next week, we start to see a little bit more shower activity and thunderstorms over those northeast ranges once again, Warwick. And so the fellow with a hay on the ground, or lady with a hay on the ground, uh, asks what times the rain going to hit the southwest on Friday? When's it start to come through? Yeah, so similar to those central and eastern parts, the southwestern uh, areas of the state will start to see the rainfall in the afternoon. So morning should be quite dry, and then the majority of it will come through in the afternoon on Friday for the southwest and eastern parts work. And Alex, at Savanac, so southern New South Wales, just over the border really from me and Shep, 25.5 millimetres, including two bursts of pea-sized hail. Is there a bit of hail around with some of these thunderstorms? Yeah, so today and tomorrow, the stuff in the northwest where we're just expecting thunderstorms around, not too many uh, severe phenomena, but from Friday and Saturday, definitely expecting some heavy rainfalls and damaging winds and possibly some hail as well. We've just got a lot of moisture around work that's kind of building, producing all this uh, severe weather that, you know, could get a chance of hail here and there, but more likely that we're seeing those heavier rainfalls is what we've got our eye on. 
And uh, Stephanie, uh, warnings-wise, pretty light on at the moment, but are we expecting that to build as these days with thunderstorms start to roll through? Absolutely, yeah. So on Friday, expect them in the northwestern parts of the state as those thunderstorms pop up and develop. On Saturday, uh, look, it's not out of the question that you could get it pretty much over most of the state. Uh, you know, they should be cleared in the northwest on Saturday, but yeah, pretty much over the whole of the state on Saturday. Uh, and then on Sunday, possibly off to the eastern parts as well. So yeah, look, they're, they're going to come up in situ as those thunderstorms develop, but however, today and tomorrow, not as many warnings out. And I know we give you questions beyond your control, but you've also got um, some congratulations for things beyond your control as well, Stephanie. Uh, Edwin uh, from the Mansfield Agricultural Society says, many thanks to the bomb for a perfect day for the Mansfield show last Saturday. And he sent through some photos of some cattle and some people enjoying their day out at the show as well. So you've got to take the credit when it comes, hey? That's very nice to hear. Thank you so much for passing that on. (laughs) Too easy. Stephanie, thanks for the update. Thanks, Warwick. We'll speak to you later. Stephanie Miles there, Senior Forecaster at the Bureau of Meteorology, taking you through uh, the full forecast there. Great photos from you, Edwin. Thank you. Past President of the Mansfield A&P Society. There's even a lady with a snake, obviously one of those displays, you know, where you get one put around your head. Uh, lovely looking Murray Gray with a first place rib- ribbon and then a lot of people enjoying show day as well in Mansfield. That, that is great. Great to see. And... Uh, Plugger says on the text, G'day was not much in the gauge for Tatura. Four chickens hatched, though, for the kids under the clucky chook overnight. That's good news, Plugger. And he also adds, can you please give a shout-out to Griffo in Wayai? Oh, always happy to give a shout-out to Griffo with a name like that. Brilliant. Anytime, Plugger. Thanks for sending that through. Let's keep moving, though, on the Country Hour and talk about the big end of agriculture because we're going to go farm tomorrow for a broadcast a look at corporate agriculture if you have questions send them in on the text now or tomorrow or send us an email countryhour at abc.net.au let's talk about a different version of big corporate agriculture right now the manager of a billion dollar agricultural investment fund thinks the australian cattle market is underpriced and the Bureau of Meteorology is to blame. Gary Edwards is the Managing Director and CEO of AAM, which has investments in nearly every Australian state. I had a wide discussion with Mr Edwards, who's also Deputy Chair of Cattle Australia, about the state of the market, investing in chicken, and why he thinks that farmland three and a half hours from a capital city is worth investing in. We run a portfolio that, as you mentioned, is about a billion dollars in assets. And those assets are, are cattle properties, uh, the sheep properties, uh, cropping and mixed farming. Um, we grow quite a few chickens and we also have a, an integrated portfolio with uh, sustainable softwood timber processing. So the basis of what AAM does is that it's relatively unique in that 100% of the investment we've made has come from Australian investors. There's not a single uh, dollar uh, that's come from foreign investment and that's, you know, we, we're very pro uh, investment of all kinds, I've got to say, but it's just unique to be able to harness the positive enthusiasm that people have in, in investing in our regions if you give them the opportunity. So our approach is quite simple. Uh, we invest across diversified commodity supply chains and a, a, a across diversified regions to manage our risk. So if it's uh, raining in one location and not in another, that's not the end of the world. It uh, just means that there's uh, an active opportunity here to facilitate what we need to do to participate in those supply chains. So how spread are you when you talk about being spread across? What, what states are we talking about here? Uh, so we've got 32 individual asset locations um, that is you know, essentially from the NTWA border uh, throughout the NT, western Queensland, um, 
you know, New South Wales, northern, central, southern, uh, and through into South Australia, and, and probably likely that we'll be in a couple of other states um, uh, here shortly. But, you know, we are truly, as I mentioned, a, a business that focuses on what we do in regional and rural areas. When we look at falling cattle prices in El Nino, uh, is a company as big as yours still affected by that? Well, everyone's affected. Um, I guess the, the challenge is I'd like to think that we're a little more patient than what's been demonstrated in the market. I think my personal opinion is that there's been a chronic overreaction to the Bureau announcing El Nino because since they've announced it, it's done nothing but sporadically rain. And the, the challenge is that there was no other global indicators that were requiring our market to, you know, a sell-off that required our market to be suppressed. In fact, it's quite the opposite. So everyone is always impacted, um, but I'd like to think that we're taking a longer-term view and I'd like to encourage everyone to take a longer-term view because uh, that's how we get more sustainable uh, pricing you know, for producers right across the country. Do you see through the eyes of producers and how they reacted to an El Nino forecast given, I suppose, what has happened to them in previous droughts? Can you see why it happened the way it did rather than, you know, w- whether you, you worry if it was an overreaction or not? Well, I think firstly, it comes down to the fact that uh, even the Bureau themselves, I think, potentially go earlier and stronger in those announcements than they might have done in the past, which may potentially force people or encourage people to make more significant and dramatic decisions earlier than what they would make. So when you combine those two situations, and there's obviously reasons why you know, the department's caught a lot of flack of being able to not forecast when it was going to rain for two or three years, which is a pretty difficult situation. And, and obviously people are taking a conservative situation about how they're managing their grass and, and what their cattle herds are. You know, ultimately, there's a lot of information out there and the challenge is for everyone to patiently distill and work through that situation. Um, you know, at the end of the day, it's anyone's right, whether they buy or sell, and there's just as many people had opportunities that were buying when other people were selling. So it's a dynamic industry, and it's a really you know, interesting... We're confronted with so much information and data, and how we process that is a challenge for everyone. So you sound quite confident that the cycle in, in even beef pricing will turn soon? There's no global indicator that supports our beef prices being suppressed at the levels that they are at this point in time. So I would be highly surprised if there's not a positive movement here over the next uh, two to six months that's more reflective of the uh, weather conditions that we're experiencing and also the demand for our products globally. We're seeing the American market has exceptionally high prices and their supply volume into exports is declining rapidly. In fact, the importation of beef into the United States is dramatically increasing. And Australia is the third largest contributor to that. So there's many, many things that should have a positive indication over the next six months as to where prices would hopefully head. You also recently invested in chicken properties in in Queensland as well. Is it important for a business like yours to to broaden what protein you're you're producing? And is that easy to do if your knowledge is in cattle, but you move to something like chicken? We're we're very fortunate as a business to have some specialist people that focus uh, in the poultry production sector. And I guess the reason why we've diversified our investments um, from beef being the largest, we're also very large producers of lamb. We produce about 75,000 prime lambs a year. Uh, And, you know, now about uh, 23 or 24 million chickens a year. 
Um, but chicken in the domestic situation where we've seen high beef prices, the consumption rates of chicken increase dramatically. Uh, and as a company, we need to be able to manage our risks around... We're, we're along in, if you like, animal protein consumption by humans. And, you know, we look to have an exposure as a business across multiple uh, species and protein. Certainly our largest exposure remains in beef cattle and we think there's a great opportunity into the future because our investment strategy is really around 10-year timeframes. And every year we look and and reassess where we want to go and where we we expect that to be. But, uh, you know, to be truly diversified, which is what our business aims to be, we have to have an exposure across different commodities. Given we've, we've talked to you about how you feel about cattle prices, and I imagine another big part of your business is how you feel about agricultural land prices, right? Note you've got farms still for sale around forms in New South Wales, but it would be a big part of, of your business is identifying where you can make money in terms of investing in, in farmland. It's come through a boom period over the last few years. How are you feeling about the, the value of Australian ag land right now? Well, look... Uh, as a company, we look again in a long-term cycles. You know, what's the ten or twenty-year trend? You can afford to have patience. Well, well, I'd like to think that, but openly, I guess what we're looking at is what land prices are like around the world. You know, we're in a broadly inflationary environment, and food is one of the number one correlations to inflation. If you're in the food market, traditionally, you're benefiting from inflation, and. You know, whilst they might pause for a while in the long term, we do expect prices to increase um, because as a developed world, our agricultural land prices are still relatively low. Um, you know, there, there is a bit of a difference, though, and I guess what we might consider productive land that, you know, is three or four hours away from urban areas um, and the pricing of that is very different to land that's priced closer to the major urban locations because there's so much land that's used for agriculture traditionally that is now owned by people that live in our major urban areas and, you know, they travel to them and maybe work from home now or, you know, they might visit on their weekends. The, the access to, to land and the people that are managing and maintaining that has changed dramatically over the last 20 or 30 years. So... It's very difficult when you're correlating land prices. You know, my, my reference is always the larger and, I guess, more remote locations. Uh, it's difficult to have more stability when you've got a lifestyle influence on your land pricing. Does that make it hard for you when you're running it as a business? Well, it just means as to where we look to invest because there's very few locations within our business that we would tend to look to invest within sort of three hours' drive of a major urban city. So that's how far the influence goes. Three hours from a major city, you see a lifestyle influence influence on ag prices. Well, that's our perspective as a business. Um, and I, I guess to some extent, we're seeing that move out to about three and a half hours now. But really that comes down to what's the length of time that someone's prepared to spend driving on a Friday afternoon to go and have a few days out in the countryside to get out of the cities. And that's a tremendous opportunity that everyone's doing that on how we engage with those people that go back to those urban locations about what happens in regional and rural Australia. It's just something that we probably haven't looked at as a way of engagement. That is Gary Edwards, the CEO and Managing Director of AAM, billion dollar agricultural investment firm, also the Deputy Chair of Cattle Council in Australia and a cattle council, a cattle 
Australia, I should say. There's no council anymore. I should get their title right, shouldn't I? Cattle Australia speaking there. Hey, we've got some breaking news for you. I'm going to get to that in just a moment. Just some texts on Gary Edwards' comments. This one says, The bomb were the last to declare an El Nino out of everyone. It's the media that ramped it up. Warwick, uh, the Australian bomb were later than the rest of the world calling the El Nino for Australia. At Anarchy, we're definitely drier than average 309 millimetres year to date with 506 millimetre average. So we've had to turn off stock, says Bob the Fencer. And Jono on the borderline has sent us a text of what he says is the start of the front coming. It's a beautiful photo of uh, the rolling drying off uh, sort of not hills exactly, rises in your uh, view on the borderline there, Jono. And uh, yeah, you can see the clouds starting to roll in on the blue sky there. Thank you very much for sending that in too. I did say there was some breaking news. Victoria has launched a new biosecurity strategy uh, saying the Minister for Agriculture, Ros Spence, today visited Aurora, or no, Auravale alpacas in Belgrave South. There are alpacas in Belgrave South to launch Victoria's biosecurity strategy which calls for a greater community collaboration to prepare and respond to future biosecurity threats. That's their uh, words, not mine. Here's the next quote. Victoria will face intensifying biosecurity risks driven by climate change, increasing trade and travel and changing land use. So a clear statewide strategy was required to ensure the state's $20.2 billion agriculture industry remains protected. There are five overarching goals and 20 actions that aim to safeguard the state uh, for that goal. I am just trying to pull up that information now because, of course, there isn't a link to that. Here we go. Those strategic goals are partnerships, strengthen ways of working together to protect what we value most, strategic goal two, prevention, make biosecurity everyone's uh, business. Number three, response, broaden the base for preparedness and response. Number four, management, reduce the impacts of established weeds and pests through local action. And five, enablers, strengthen the enablers for system-wide action. There are a lot of words there, not a lot of meaning. We'll get to the bottom of what this strategy is and what it's aiming to do for agriculture in the coming days on the country. I will ask Agriculture Minister Ros Spence to come on and explain it to you. So uh, that news will come in the coming days. But Victoria has launched a new biosecurity strategy this lunchtime at Belgrave South at an alpaca farm there in the southeastern suburbs of Melbourne, I suppose is what you'd say is there. Uh, 0467 842 722 if you want to send us a text on the country hour. Greg says, it's not the bomb's fault. They never said El Nino would have never have some rain. Look what central to eastern Victoria got an unusual event and western districts got nothing. And now they don't uh, have enough good feed to finish lambs to Christmas, says Greg. Thank you very much for that text. Let's go to livestock markets now. To market, to market. Let's start today in Leangatha with Brendan Fletcher. Take it away, Brendan. 
There were 120 more at 1480, with a northern export order joining most of the regular buyers in a dearer market. Quality remained mixed in the bullocks and improved in the trade run. Trade cattle lifted up to 25 cents. Grown steers lifted 25, bullocks 10. Manufacturing steers gained 5 cents. Cows lifted 5 to 10, and heavy bulls eased 10. Vealers sold from 163 to 286. Yielding trade steers 210 to 230. The heifer portion 176 to 230. Grown steers 220 to 240. Bullocks 225 to 239. Heavy Frisian steers 169 to 187. Crossbreds 172 to 224. Most light and medium weight cows 122 to 173. Heavyweights 140 to 199. Heavy bulls 160 to 195. This is Brendan Fletcher reporting for MLA. Next is the sheep run. We're putting them last today. Let's go to Hamilton Sheep and Lambs. Take it away, Chris Agnew. Thanks, Warwick. Agents yarded 48,000 lambs, which included 1,450 old shorn lambs at Hamilton this week, an increase of some 16,000. The quality was very good overall, showing freshness and some weight, although it did tail off to lighter immature lambs, showing more dryness than the previous sale. A full field of processors were present, including both supermarket chains. However, not all were fully active, and there was a very good restocker and feeder competition across the sale. The sale was stronger over most categories to be five to ten dollars per head stronger. New season's lambs sold to a top of one seventy eight so far, with most of the new season's lambs to the trade making between four hundred and sixty to five hundred and forty cents. Light twelve to sixteen kg new season's lambs, forty to eighty eight dollars, lambs to the trade eighteen to twenty two, seventy two to one thirty five, and the twenty two to twenty sixes one fourteen to one forty two. This is an interim report as there's still three agents to sell. At Hamilton, this is Chris Agner reporting for MLA. Yeah, big yardings this time of year out at Hamilton. Thanks very much for that, Chris. Let's go to Horsham and Graham Pimer. Good afternoon, everyone. Both the lamb and sheep numbers eased this week as the grain harvest gets underway. With 6,700 lambs and 1,750 sheep yarded. Quality was mixed, but with good supply of e-lambs penned. The usual buying group operator affirmed the dearer market with the trade weight selling five to ten dollars a dearer. Medium and heavy trade weight young lamb sold from one hundred four to one thirty. Heavyweight sold from one sixty two to one sixty nine. Restockers paid from thirty six to sixty seven. Lightweight sold from twelve to forty six. Shorn young lamb sold from forty six to eighty four. Merino lambs made from eighteen to forty three. Sheep quality was good, with sheep selling to stronger demand in places, 10 to $15 a head up on last week. Merino used made to 56 crossbred used to 49 Light trade weight lambs, 89 to 100 to average 480 Medium trade weights, 104 to 121 to average 475 Export weight sold from 138 to 155 to average 505 And the extra heavyweight young lamb sold from 162 to 169 they've averaged 510 Medium weight sheep sold from 32 to 47, average $1.80. Hoggets made to 58. Been Graham Palmer at Horsham from LA. Thanks very much for that, Graham. Uh, Chris says on the text in regards to the biosecurity strategy being launched by the Victorian government today, G'day was uh, the biggest biosecurity risk to Victorian farmers is the government opening up our water frontage areas to the there public, says Chris. Oh, apologies for that. Now we've got a second dose of. Brendan Fletcher there. Uh, Also on the text line, and I love this. I've been saving it uh, from uh, Numerca, where a beautiful photo of a rainbow has come in uh, from Al, who said, Hi, was rainbow after 16 millimetres of rain yesterday afternoon in Numerca. Al, beautiful photo. Lovely seeing the big rainbow 
over the top of uh, the trees there in your photo, which is lovely to see. And we did talk a lot about macadamias earlier on in our rural news segment. Alan, I love a bit of learning in the country house, says, I thought Hawaii was the largest producer of macadamia nuts, but I just looked it up. It now only contributes 5% of world nut production, down from 45% in 1999. The largest producer in the world is now South Africa. Australia is only the second largest, says Alan. Love that, Alan. We'll catch you tomorrow. It's one o'clock right now.